Hey, this is Woody again. I just wanted to say, I'm, so I'm here at PAX Unplugged. The place is huge. It reminds me of a Gen Con sized room, but I don't think PAX Unplugged has grown to that level yet. It just feels really uh, kind of almost like there's air between me and other people. It just seems like such a strange idea. Uh, so I'm gonna walk around and talk to a lot of people and try to get some information about different games and I'll try to, uh, I'll have some for you to check out as well. So uh, you'll look forward to that. I'm here at PAX Unplugged, and I'm talking with Jacob Jaskoff, the designer of Fog of Love, which is a game I've been really excited about. This is uh, a game about relationships. It's a romantic, it's a romantic comedy card game, basically. Yeah, you you play a fictional couple that meet, fall in love, and try to make their relationship work. And uh, as in any relationship, this can go well for both players. Or one player can end happy and the other one unhappy, or both can end unhappy. So we are trying to, to simulate how love and relationships work. And it's a very different game from any game out there because we couldn't just reuse yeah, mechanics from other, other yeah, games because love is something different than a conflict or resource optimization. Yeah. So we try to figure out yeah, how, how can we actually uh, make a game about love? What, what game is love? And so you, you came up with something. Yeah, so the, basically this, this game uh, <clears throat> represents several aspects of what love is. And you, on, the, on the simple level, love is about give and take. So if you have a relationship, you give something and you take something. So there's a transactional element who gets happy and can we both get happy or not. But then there's also about uh, existential choice because love is not just about uh, an economy. <laughs> even though there is an economy in love. Love is also about making big choices. And that's also something we wanted to represent in the game, to have existential choices really committing to each other. And the way we do that is uh, through uh, the cards we call Destiny Cards. Uh, and they represent your uh, perceptions about what love is. And initially you have all available, and as you play along, you discard more and more. And, and you, you basically choose how you perceive love and how you perceive this relationship in the end of the game and how, how you commit to it. And this could be that, uh, for some love, could be that, uh, that you want to be equal partners. So and this is equally happy. And not necessarily very happy, but just on the same level. <laughs> Others might perceive love as being something where we just need to be happy together. Who is happy is not important, but just the total level of happiness. And then you could be, think about love as something where you are more happy than the other. So you're the dominant one, or you could uh, be the submissive one, not, not think about yourself, but only about the partner. Or you could uh, even be the heartbreaker, the bad person, because that's how you see love. You are, your role in love in relationships is to be the bad person. And, and you decide which way you want to go uh, and whether you want to stay together or not. Uh, so the, it's a very open-ended game. You can, end, you, can also, you, can, you can choose to be the bad person, you can choose to be the good person. 
and and this makes it a very yet uh, a semi-cooperative game, <laughs> in many ways like relationships are. Right. Uh, so you you have. You're not forced to be together, and then this, this, this was important. It was a very important design choice for us because if you look at, for example, and, and regular co-ops, they are not uh, actually games about uh, uh, collaboration. Mm -hmm. They are they are more about coordination. Yeah. Because you, you know that you are together or not. If you're playing Pandemic, you're not playing against each other, you're playing together. So it's more about who coordinates the best and how to coordinate our actions the best way possible. But in a relationship, it's not just about coordination, it's also about really trusting each other and having the option of, and you can, and, and trust is only relevant if the other one has the option of not being good. So we wanted to in, include this uh, possibility for, uh, for, uh, for, for, you could say, evil or for bad behavior. And, and with this option, the good behavior also becomes much more meaningful. Uh, and that is uh, it's very important for us because uh, then when people play it, uh, what we see is that people almost always choose the good things. But when they choose them, they become much more happy because they know that the other ones could have chosen differently. They could have chosen the bad thing. So actually there's a, an element of, uh, of manipulation in the game as well as, uh, when we, that we have put in as designers because uh, we somehow manipulate people to become more happy when they play the game. Uh, by by making their choices much more meaningful and by somehow uh, influencing them to take more heavy uh, choices. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about your inspiration for this game? Because it sounds like this is probably born in some part of your life, basically. So, um, the, ga the, the reason for me to make this game is because I wanted to play with my wife. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a regular geek who plays a lot of sci-fi fantasy stuff and, and, and I, I think it's fun. Uh, my wife much less so. <laughs> so so I, I, and I of course would love to play with my wife, I love her, uh, but it's very difficult for me to get her to play. On the other hand, when we for example watch Netflix together, I can get her to see uh, sci-fi in action, okay. but that's because next time she will choose a romantic comedy and we can go back and forth. But we cannot do that in board games because there's no choice for her. So, uh, so I decided to create a game for her. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a lot of innov innovative stuff in other contexts. So I'm a product development. I work within that. I thought, well, why not create a game just as a hobby project for her? I have done something else with games before, so it's not new to me to create a game, but I've not done a, a board game before. So I wanted to create a game for her that that could, that she could relate to, that that was uh, thematically and uh, mechanically interesting for her. And basically, uh, every all the design choices I've made in the game are, are based around what she would find interesting and fun. So the game is a love story, basically. It is, and it's also a tragic love story to some extent, <laughs> because I ended up spending three years of my life doing this. It, uh, this this project uh, just grew and grew and grew. And now I have to, uh, uh, I've spent so much time actually on doing this game, so I've, I've spent less time with my wife than I should have done. So that's, uh, there's a strategy inside the, the romance as well, because I've actually spent too much time on this as well. But, but it, we ended up with a very good game, though. Excellent. And so was she impressed when you made this game for her? Um, she's actually tired of it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, because I, 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 every, every choice I made, I, uh, I tested on her and 
so everything was analytical, 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 and, and she could not just relax and play. Oh. Uh, so she loves the game, but she would rather play with her girlfriends. So she, she thinks it's very, very good, but she does not want to play with me. Oh no, that's so sad. That's sad, yes. But I, I get the feeling that it's a two-player game, right? It's a two-player game only. And so is your idea behind it or your hope behind it that this would bring couples closer together? Yes. So, so, so actually, I just wanted to have something that... Initially, I just wanted to have something that, that relates to uh, the, the tastes of, of man, manly, uh, mainly women, but also others who, who are more mainstream-oriented and not oriented towards sci-fi or action or fantasy stuff. Right. So I wanted to do something that that is much more interesting and open-ended. However, uh, when I then began to develop the game, I could also see that, uh, that, that there's this potential about making people more happy together. Uh, and, uh, and some who play it say that they almost fall in love again when they play it. There was just a recent review here by Married with Board Games, and they talk a lot about how they uh, fell in love again, almost again, when they played this game. Awesome. So, so there's, uh, there's this element, and, and, I, and I like that. And I like this, uh, that this, you have this option of, uh, yeah, this, these big choices you can make through the game, where you can also make each other happy. Nice. So I want to thank you so much for talking to us. Maybe you could tell the listeners where they can get the game, when they can get the game, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the game is exclusive to Walmart. So we are the first exclusive game at Walmart. Uh, and we are very proud of that. They found our game last year in Essen in the Spiel. Uh, and they fell in love with that. So, so, uh, so they have bought a huge bunch of games, which allowed us to increase the quality dramatically of all material components. Uh, so that we are very happy with that. So it's only available at Walmart.com, uh, at least in the US, in uh, Europe and Canada and Australia. It, it's available in other in, in regular stores. Okay. So not at the uh, big box stores then? Um, not yet, uh, but of course we haven't had time to work on that. So we have only had time to work with the Walmart deal initially. And then uh, we are w talking with a lot of distributors. And uh, so we have distribution in place in Europe. Uh, we have ships sailing at the moment towards Australia and Canada. And, uh, and when they land, we hope that we have our deals ready <laughs> for distribution. I think we will have. So it goes through them. And, and we have a lot of very, very interested uh, yeah, big players who really are interested in, in, in this game because it's so unique. So, so that's it's good news for us and for everybody else, I think. Absolutely. Well, well, Jacob, thank you so much. Thanks for making the game. I'm looking forward to playing. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'm here with Caitlin McIntyre to talk about Beyonder, the uh, role-playing game. And Caitlin's going to tell us a little bit of a story about how he came to make the game and a little bit about the game. Well, I like to say thank God for this game because it means I exist. My dad made this game back in the 70s to woo my mom in college. And apparently it worked because I'm here, so are my brothers. Uh, my dad grew up, uh, we grew up playing this game with my dad. So I made my first character when I was seven or eight. And he was named Perseus because I was, of course, a Greek mythology nerd. Uh, and, you know, we all 
we grew up playing this game as our default, like our weekend activity would be sitting around the table and telling stories, right? Playing role-playing games, which I loved at the time just as someone who loved fantasy and also have really come to appreciate as a way to be socialized as a kid, right? Like that, that's pretty awesome that we would just sit around with no electronics and just tell stories together. So we worked on this game piecemeal as a family for the last 20 years or so, uh, just putting in elements where we thought, hey, this would be cool to have this thing, or like, well, what if this rule worked this way? And then after, after about 15 years, we thought, you know, we, maybe we put enough time on this that we should consider publishing it and kind of spreading it out to the rest of the world. So we, we did. We kickstarted a few years ago, got the, uh, the money to put these books out, and have been distributing since then. So we've gotten to see our books go out to other households and other families, which has been incredible. Um, we got a, an email. So it's great to see it go out at any point, but like I got this email maybe a year ago that just said, really simple. It was from a dad who said, my kid's in the other room. He's reading through your book. He really loves it. And he's starting to make a little campaign to play in your world. And it was just this moment of... You know, I could see my seven-year-old self playing with this world and just feeling like, oh my God, like I've successfully transmitted down the gene pool, right? Like I, I've brought other people into this weird, wonderful world that, that I grew up on. Yeah. That's fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about the game so that we can get excited about what it is you've created over 20 years? Absolutely. So the world of Beyonder, uh, it is, we like to say, a fancy world with no magic or elves. It's a world in which there are six fundamental energies that make up everything that is. Inner energies, outer energies, ethereal energies. Uh, and those six energies are manipulated by the guilds, a continent-wide political, business, scientific organization, a little bit like our NIA plus Senate plus everything else uh, in the real world. And they manipulate these energies to create supernatural effects in the same way that we manipulate electricity to make cell phones, which are, let's face it, magic. Yeah, exactly. So they would not call it magic. They say, no, no, we do science. To us, maybe it would seem that way. Uh, in the game, you play as any one of the six guilds, which correspond to the six energies, and you play from any one of the ten playable races, which include uh, Halos, which are genderless creatures born from the stars, Ishiri, which are rock folk, uh, Kamari, who come from the trees, one of their genders is tree. Uh, we don't recommend playing as a tree because this is not an Ent situation, this is a tree, but like you live your best life, you know, do what makes you... <laughs> Do what makes you happy. Um, and as for mechanics, it's a 2d10 single roll system. So you roll 2d10 non-percentile. What you roll is compared to the difficulty, and the amount you beat it by determines how successful you are. So if it's a difficulty 15, you roll 18, that's a minor success. If you roll a 23, that's a moderate success, and you'll do a little bit more. Um, so there's a lot of depth to the rules. You know, it's point by, you can create your own uh, supernatural powers and all that. But it's not a, a huge load to pick up just to, to get started. Okay, excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I want to hear more about it. Um, I don't want to hold you up too long, though. So I want to thank you for talking to us. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Still new for us. Oh, yeah, no, that's... 
Okay, so I'm walking around PAX and I've gotten caught by a game called The Shared Dream and I'm talking with Diana of Odom Publishing and she's going to tell us a little bit about The Shared Dream and uh, the uh, role-playing game that comes out of this. Hi, okay, so The Shared Dream is set on modern-day type fantasy. It is scenario-based. There are five different scenarios, each with four personal stories. You can play, uh, you could choose to play from 10 characters. Unlike a lot of scenario-based games, this one has great replayability because of the different scenarios you could choose from, personal stories within each one, and all the different characters. Um, basically, you it is a cooperative game. You basically play, it's a race against time to defeat the main bad guy. There's different bad guys for each scenario. And you basically play as people who realize that dreams are actually real and magic is real. So each player, you begin by waking up from the same nightmare. And you tap into your dreamlike self called Animus and use your magic powers from your Animus during the day to defeat these nightmarish creatures. So animus sounds like a term from Carl Jung. <laughs> is is that is that what it's meant to? I'm not sure. I didn't design the game. Uh, go ahead. Are you the designer? Uh, I'm one of the designers. Yes. <laughs> yes. So she mentioned animus, mm -hmm. and I said, well, that's that comes that term comes from Carl Jung. That's actually where Matt, our uh, head designer, got the term from. Okay. So the the anima is your. Uh, real world self and then the animus is your dream self within our game okay so did young feed a lot of this game then like a lot of young and principles in the game yeah matt would be better uh, suited to explain that but <laughs> yeah. i know that you know the lore is basically developed from that kind of concept mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe I'll get a chance to talk to Matt here. If he's is he available or uh, he's, he's running a demo now, but maybe in like 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to see Young Ian concepts in a role-playing game. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'll find out more about it. Thank you guys very much. Sure. Hey, I'm here at PAX Unplugged, and I'm talking to Matthew Truly with Odom Publishing and there's a game here that I'm really fascinated by and now that I'm looking around I can't see the name of it. What is the name of it? Uh, the name of the game is Of Dreams and Magic. Of Dreams and Magic. It is a modern fantasy RPG where you play as characters who are able to make magic real in the real world. The way they're able to do that is through the power of their dreams. Basically when they go to sleep they're able to either travel into someone else's dream and pull some of that with them here into the real world or they can channel their own idealized dream self or animus here in the real world as well in order to battle against nightmares that are also spawned in the real world. So since there are dreams spawning from this uh, from these people, there's an element called the doubt. But the doubt is, is the doubt is basically the thing that makes everyone think that the world is mundane and normal and non-magical. And the people who are able to channel this animus are able to break the doubt, see past it, and make magic real. So that's the basic core concept of the overall RPG as a whole. Okay, and I'm hearing young end concepts in there. Yes. Which is what brought me to uh, to you in the first place. So can you talk about how young has played a role in making that RPG and, and also maybe a little bit about the board game that's come from the RPG? Sure. Um, as far as that goes, some of the, the main thing 
that's inspired by that is the anima and the animus. When we were looking for the name for what these people are who can break the doubt, we needed a specific term, and we were thinking about them, and that one came very obvious because you have the anima, which is sort of like the ego, the self, and the animus, the other self, arguably the true self, which is your dream identity. So basically the idea is you're not who, you're not necessarily limited to who you are, who you present yourself as in your normal everyday life, but you have this animus, your other self that you can instead channel instead. Uh, we also divide the different kinds of characters into different archetypes, which is also, uh, yeah, that's more from the term. And then the actual lore of the game, the, the ability to break the doubt, the anima, are discovered by a psychologist. His name is Dr. Connor Marlowe. Basically, he comes across a patient who's insisting to him, he basically tells him the story that there's this thing called the doubt, and that's why you can't see magic. But I promise you that it can be broken, that the doubt can be broken, that you can be more, if only you would believe me. Of course, no one believed him, so he ended up in an institute until, you know, Dr. Connor Marlowe saw this and believed him. So he always sort of joke about that origin story. Who's the one who was really magical? Patient 115 who claimed that he could deal magic, or the doctor who believed him? So that's sort of the core, everything in the game is about that struggle. The struggle of dreams versus nightmare. The struggle of what reality tells you you have to be versus what you truly are. You know, and of course it's sort of gamified and instead of your nightmares or the doubt just being that everyday oppressive doubt creates actual nightmares to come after you. And um, speaking of the doubt, that's something that we found is pretty relevant to normal everyday life. You know, we sort of kind of joke about it where Everyone knows that feeling when things are going well, and then in terms like the, the, the worm turns and things are going bad. Or when you're trying to get something, there's always another element there that's telling you, well, you shouldn't do this, you should just give up. The doubt, in my mind, is very real. Obviously, it's not a concept that we've only created. It's been in other, you know, the, the war of art uses resistance. That whole concept of that there being some sort of negative collective unconsciousness out there that you have to overcome. Like I said, it's gamified and personified in this game by the monsters. So when you're playing, um, the game is really about that. Struggling not just against the literal doubt nightmare, but the, also the theoretical doubt of, you know, I'm trying to accomplish a dream, and it's hard to do so. And I would say that's kind of an allegory for opening up a game company, quitting a real job, and all that stuff. There's uh, a lot of parallels there, basically. I love that. So I've always kind of thought doubt is... Uh Doubt is what keeps us from seeing ghosts. It's what keeps us from catching the magic in the world because we're so focused on scientific. And so this sounds like your dreams come more to life. You exactly. use your dreams to achieve your your goals, basically. Exactly. Yes. And there's a you could. We've had people engage on it on a very surface level where they just think it's cool. We get these cool dream powers, and then we've had people engage on it on a very metaphysical, deep level where, like I said, it's really about you know what what is real, you know. And we say, you know, magic is real and dreams matter. And that's not just, you know, a tagline for dreams that your character could do, but also in the real literal world, you know, that your your dreams do matter, that the doubt is out there, that there is, everyone knows whether it's a person or a situation, that thing that's telling them don't do that. And everyone also has that little animus inside them that says do. So that's sort of the, uh, the basic concept. 
I, I'm excited. I, awesome. I, I'm looking forward to my play at 3.30. The the one I'm going to play at 3.30 is a board game, though. It's yes. a board game edition of what we've talked about. Exactly. It's a board game adaptation. It's called The Shared Dream. Um, the Shared Dream basically takes the characters, the concept of the world of, of Dreams of Magic, puts it into a board game. So it's a little bit more um, mechanic-based since you're obviously playing a board game, but... You play through specific nightmares that come into the real world, and you have to play through certain mini-stories in order to conquer that nightmare. So it's not just a dungeon crawl or anything like that. Even there, there's a lot of storytelling. There's um, about 100,000 words worth of just story content in The Shared Dream. So it's very much based off of the... It has the heart of the RPG, we wrapped it in a board game. I'm excited. Thank you so much for talking to me. I, I'm... I'm going to play it, and we'll see if I buy it, but I, I, I probably will. Awesome. All right, thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Is that a... So I'm back at PAX Unplugged. I'm here talking to John Covey of Genius Games and uh, maker of a game that I'm really excited about right now, which is called Cytosis, even though it's sitting on my table at home and I haven't read the rules yet. I've gotten to get a little bit of a demo here, and uh, we're going to talk to John and just kind of find out more about Genius Games. So, as I told you, we're kind of focused on games in professional environments and how yeah. games are changing us. Awesome. So, if you could talk a little bit about Genius Games. What, what is Genius Games exactly? Yeah, so Genius Games is a board game publishing company. We started roughly in 2011 as a hobby. I've uh, been a scientist and taught chemistry and biology and physics at various grade levels. And I've just always wanted to have more hard science themed games that I could play with my friends and even just use in my classroom for educational purposes. But the problem is that most of the games I played at that time were just really bad games. They might have been accurate to some kind of science, but the games weren't very good. So I decided to start publishing some of my own as a hobby. Um, and back in 2014 is the first time I, I launched a game on Kickstarter. It's for a game called Linkage, a DNA card game. It did fairly well. Um, and then since then, 2017, now fast forward, we have um, six games that we have published since then and two different sets of children's books, all hard science themed, that teach young kids about science. So we're a publishing company that really just thrives on allowing people to play through the sciences and learn that way. Rather than just a lecture or reading material or, or something else, they can play a game and learn as a consequence of having fun. Yeah, what I was seeing with them playing there was that they're going to learn the concepts, but there was no preaching at all about right. this is the science behind what's going on or anything like that. Right. So that's pretty exciting because you just kind of, it's almost osmosis that you're going to get the information. Exactly. I don't mm -hmm. know if you walk out and take an SAT test, but uh, right. maybe. So. Yeah, maybe you could take a, a, a test or a quiz specifically about cell cytosis, biology, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, um, and you have some other games that are also, are they all biologically based games or do you have more hard science going on anywhere? Yeah, so we have, um, we have, let's see here, four games total that we've published that were biology themed. The first one was Linkage, a DNA card game. Okay. The second one was Peptide, a protein building game. And that those two games were meant to walk through the process of DNA to RNA transcription and then RNA to um, protein translation. And then we have another game called Virulence, which is about viruses. Um, and then Cytosis, a cell biology game. And then outside of that, we have two chemistry games. One's called Ion. It's a game where you're, you're taking ions and trying to build ionic compounds, neutral compounds. It's a card drafting game. And then a cooperative game called Covalence, where one player knows the molecules that other players need to build, but they can't verbally communicate to the other players. And the other players don't know what they're trying to build. They communicate with these clue cards, and those cards have 
um, chemistry names or symbols on them that give them an idea about what they're trying to build. So it's almost like a Mysterium clue puzzle style game. It's really fun. Yeah, with the science. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Can you, can you think of a game that's changed your life? A game that's changed my life? I mean, I would say, uh, actually, Dungeons and Dragon. I would say has has changed my life. I mean, it's one. It's the game that got me into gaming in the first place. Okay. It's not necessarily um, an educational game or designed to to teach in any way whatsoever. But I mean, as a as a young young kid, I was dealing with a lot of really difficult uh, dysfunction in my life, and sitting down and playing D and D, like really brought me out into this this fantasy world and like gave me a, a like relief in a lot of ways from some of the things I was thinking about and dealing with on a regular basis and that was really impactful for me um, and it just helped me to see the impact that like play and um, and and almost like fantasy can have in someone's life yeah, I think our listeners would definitely agree with D&D is a life changer for most people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm excited about Genius Games. We'll hopefully get some people to come and buy Cytosis. Beautiful. That's the one that I'm most excited about right now, obviously. Um, just a little bit of a... Uh, devil's advocate kind of moment here. Sure. I'm noticing some relationship to Lords of Waterdeep in the uh-huh, game. Uh-huh, definitely. Oh yeah, I love Lords of Waterdeep. I love worker placement. So Lords of Waterdeep, um, Stone Age, those are two of some of my favorite games, um, as well as Champions of Midgard. Oh yeah. Um, so yes, the, the, the thing about worker placement is uh, worker placement works really well for any kind of like city building, resource management, moving resources throughout an area. Um, and you see a lot of that in and games that focus on cities. Well, it just so happens that one of the most common uh, metaphors for a cell is a human city. We've got your power plant. You've got, this is where you get your resources. This is where you convert your resources. This is where your exports that you're making money for to produce more things. That analogy works really well. And so the overlap there between the city and uh, worker placement and a human cell is, is perfect. It's a perfect fit. It's a perfect fit. Yeah. And a lot of teachers actually use a city as a, as a metaphor for a cell and teach off of that. And we're doing the same thing, just using the worker placement element of that. Well, I, I don't remember that so much. I remember powerhouse, the, the powerhouse of the cell, basically. Right. Yes, absolutely. So there is that kind of metaphor going on. Right. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks so much. Listeners can uh, check you out at gotgeniusgames.com. That's right. And we've actually updated our URL now at geniusgames.org. But gotgeniusgames.com will forward you to a proper place. That's right. It sure will. All right. Well, thanks so much, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. This has been episode number 13, a walk around the inaugural PAX Unplugged convention in November 2017. This is part one of five in the series. If you'd like to contact us, you can send email to gamers at rollingforchange.com or reach us by Twitter through the Geek Therapy Network with at Geek Therapy. Just use the hashtag RFC. Our theme music is provided by Rocket Scientist. Check out all of their awesome music at thetank.com. Thanks so much for listening. In the next episode, we'll be talking about Smack Talk, metagaming, and the fun you can have with Twilight Imperium. Until then, place your meeples and keep on rolling for change.